there was always some kind of strangeness, even like to the way that North America was portrayed in these games. So I think that it's only right that there are these peripheral spaces kind of used in these games because it was never truly like a Western only genre. There was, it was always transnational to some extent. Welcome everyone to the fourth episode of Conversations in Game Studies, a series of podcast talks with scholars who research video games in their academic work. Today I'm joined by not one, but three guests, Teresa Fosek-Grobova and Jaroslav Švelch from the Czech Republic and Justyna Janik from Poland, to discuss their article, Summoning Ghosts of the Post-Soviet Spaces, a comparative study of the horror game Someday You'll Return and the Medium. In this article, the three authors discuss how developers have included Central and Eastern European locales and historical references into their works, including interviews with the set developers. The article also touches on the broader representation of Central and Eastern Europe in video games in the past decades and deals with the question to what extent the narratives and locations that we have been presented with perpetuate stereotypical narratives or offer something new to both local and international players. But before we delve into the study itself, just a few words about my guests. Teresa Fosek-Robova is a video game scholar associated with Charles University in Prague, as well as NYU's Prague campus and the Department of Game Design at the Film and TV School of Academy of Performing Arts in Prague. She teaches the basics of media communication at the school, as well as courses on gender and media, which is a major part of her research. Teresa is also a frequent contributor to news outlets and publications on video games in the Czech Republic. Jaroslav Švelk is also associated with Charles University and the Department of Game Design at the Film and TV School in Prague. He's also the author of two recent books, Gaming the Iron Curtain, which looks at video gaming in communist Czechoslovakia, and Player vs. Monster, which looks at the history and phenomenon of monsters and how they have been constructed in video games. Justina Janik is affiliated with the Faculty of Management and Social Communication at Jagiellonian University in Poland, and her research is mostly focused on the relationship between players and video games, and in particular on the post-humanistic and performative nature of this relationship and bond. So thank you all for joining me. Sure, yeah, thank you. Um, thanks for inviting us. Thank you very much. So to kick off this talk, I would like to ask you about the historic representation of Central and Eastern Europe in video games, which has become really recognizable and established in the past, let's say, 15 years. But has this region always been a part of video games to an extent? Or are we looking at a relatively novel thing that has emerged somewhat recently? I think there were actually uh, Central and Eastern European locations in local games used, especially in the 80s when... Uh, games that were produced locally were mainly produced for local markets or for local communities. So there are examples of games that, you know, in my past research, I've called hyperlocal. So, you know, games that take place at particular schools or particular towns or in people's homes in Czechoslovakia or in Yugoslavia and so on. But then, you know, when local game industry started to produce games mainly for the international market, then they the, the studios wanted to adapt to this I guess, transnational imagery that doesn't really kind of refer to sp specific location, you know, this generic kind of fantasy or generic, generic kind of military themes and so on. So, so for some time, I, I would say it was absent to some extent, but then there were some, of course, exceptions or some games that have turn it around a little bit. I think you were going to ask about Half-Life 2, right? Like that's that's an important one because the setting there is inspired definitely by kind of Eastern European architecture and landscape. Silco Shadow of Chernobyl, 
but still i think these were kind of individual games but i think that in the late in the last you know like maybe five to ten years we're kind of seeing this uh this kind of more general tendency towards including kind of local color local themes local histories in games we mentioned examples like uh metro 2033 right which is an Ukrainian game, but uh, takes place in Moscow. Kingdom Come Deliverance, which takes place in the medieval times in Bohemia, and there are more. And I think that's like, at least from kind of casual observation, I think that this trend is uh, becoming stronger, at least in in the Czech Republic, probably Poland too. I guess in the case of Poland, the obvious choice would be The Witcher, that has really popularized the Polish ambience, but that's a more of a medieval fantasy game, so it doesn't do much for the post-Soviet space. I'm not sure how, historically, how Poland has been represented on the local game market or international game market. Justina, if you could pitch in on that. That's a very interesting question, because itself, Witcher has not that many in the visual cues, yes, like there is like a villages, maybe some of the patterns in the clothing type that I can recognize some of the Polishness in it. And there's a lot of uh, jokes in the language and the dialogues, which are not translated well into the English, which is always very weird for me when I look at the commentary or like a let's play in English. And I'm like, okay, this is not the game I play. But what is interesting about The Witcher is maybe not uh, a lot of maybe Soviet memory into the game itself in terms of um, storyline. But uh, I think what Witcher did uh, was opening a door to considering Slavic spaces of desire, yes? And there's like a lot of other smaller games that are still maybe kind of medieval fantasy that are having this uh, Slavic undertones, which this also sounds interesting, but I think it also might open the possibilities to explore other narratives about our localities as well, I think. Yeah, and I, I think that that has already been happening to an extent. It's like with 11-bit studios and a bunch of smaller Polish developers who are actually also working mm. on a kind of Eastern European setting, right, if I'm, I'm correct. Mm. All right, but moving into the article and specifically the genre of horror, you establish in your article that through various techniques like post-memory and folk horror, horror games are particularly well positioned to at least adopt some of the superficial elements of a local setting. So can you speak a little bit about why horror games are so uniquely well positioned to, to have these regional markers, let's say, more easily than an action game, for instance? I think that the point is that the horror genre in general is very universal. So you can take a very classic tropes like, I don't know, strange forest, dark places, abandoned places, and they work the same way across the globe. So you feel the very similar emotions. So when we took the interview with the developers, they also agreed that they understood the genre as a framework, very universal and general framework. And then they were able to add something very local. I think I might add uh, that the horror genre, I think, relies a lot on uh, on space. If developers from semi-peripheral regions want to put a lot of effort into designing those spaces, then it makes sense for them to use local spaces because they're familiar with them. And it's also one of the quotes from the interviews that the guys who made Sunday Return said that we know uh, the smell of the forest in the Czech Republic or the Czech countryside. So it was easier for them to create the space of the forest, which plays a very important role in the game because they could use the one that they're uh, they're familiar with. 
Like in horror games, I think that like all the spaces in horror games are always kind of dislocated. And I think it's mentioned in the article, but you know, we kind of thought about it a lot when we were doing the analyses. We were thinking about how all these games are inspired directly or indirectly, but mostly directly and admittedly by a Silent Hill and Resident Evil series. And the interesting thing about these is that these are Japanese games that take place in the US, right? So already like this tradition of horror games already has this thing in it that, you know, they're basically, it's foreigners writing about like foreign spaces. So there was always some kind of strangeness, even like to the way that North America was portrayed in these games. So I think that it's only right that there are these peripheral spaces kind of used in these games because it was never truly like a Western only genre. There was, it was always transnational to some extent. Yeah, thank you. That, that's really important. And it really reminds me of like GTA being made as, by a Scottish studio or Max oh, Payne yeah. and Alan Wake, the most Americana games being made by a Finnish studio. So there's actually a lot of this overlap. Yeah, and Mafia was made in the Czech Republic, right? But I'm, I'm sure there are also Polish games that are they take place. Dead Island and... Dead Island, but also Techland also did one game about the Wild West. So like <laughs> completely North American related, you know? Great. And uh, then I guess I would move straight into having a bit more questions about the concrete game. So how far do you reckon that these two games go in actually representing the region? Because one of the games seems to be slightly more political, that it involves elements of collective memory. That's the medium. Whereas in the case of Someday You'll Return, it seems to be more of a certain ambience and aesthetic. So if you could speak a little bit about it, what kind of elements pop up in these games that to us Central Eastern Europeans identify them as such, and to other players, they may be a nice coating of exoticism or hopefully something deeper. So maybe Justin, I would start with you. And I guess that would be the medium. When I played medium, I had the feeling I'm in this museum of old things. If you ask me if it's well represented what our region is now, it is not. No, there's like nothing there that, uh, except for some building that was mapped in Krakow uh, in uh, in Mateko Square. Except for that, not not really. Yeah. So everything that was represented, it was uh, passed through a filter of memory and remembers of the designers. And also the filter was very weird because on the one hand, during the interview, I had this kind of impression that it was fun to find old artifacts that are quirky or weird or a bit spooky and work with the spaces that are abandoned. And because of the, ab- uh, because of the status of being abandoned, they evoke this uneasy feeling into the design team. However, a lot of this maybe stronger political undertones were not fully realized on the design level. Like they used some tropes and they knew that they used the tropes, but the significance of that use was not very clear. Why exactly they use the story of Polish guerrilla fighters in the Second World War? why they choose militian officer as a second story like this was was like tropes that they remember from the tv and the movies and schools but not really okay i we want to use it to the fully of the political significance of them so it was more like i wouldn't say facade because it feels very shallow but i would say it was in a way unconscious decision on their part 
And in the article, I think it's in the part where you deal with the medium that you mentioned the phenomenon of post-memory, which is essentially a mm -hmm. generation of people living in the shadow of the memories of their parents and mm -hmm. grandparents from an era that they may not have really experienced. So do you think that medium is a little bit constructed, or at least the regional elements in medium are constructed a little bit from this perspective of post-memory, that it's uh, kind of these jumbled memories that the developers may have had passed down to them from their parents, and it's this collage maybe of a post-Soviet impression that they themselves have of their country's past? Or? Absolutely, I think so. Also, I ask if there's like any personal memories of them, like if they like any of them have this memory passed down in their families. And Dominika said not uh, that not really. So it was even like more evident it is a post-memory. So like a memory of a collective trauma of grandparents and the parents' generation. It was not even relieving the personal story of their own, but more like collective history of a, a nation that really wants to brood about past in a way. And just to mention this explicitly for someone who hasn't played the medium, so this is the backstory of some of the characters who turn out to have been involved to a certain extent in the Polish era of Nazism uprising and then in communism. So it has both these narratives yes. of victims and perpetrators. And I assume that this is what you're referring to, that in Poland, this is, I guess, a frequently reproduced narrative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's like, uh, especially I think uh, during the time when most of the designers were in school, because I kind of have a feeling that we all are in a similar age. There was a lot of stories about Second World War and how to tell stories about resistance during Second World War and all how to tell stories about the communism era that is not a comedy. Because I can, let's say, uh, pre-transformation time, a lot of story about communism era in Polish cinema, for example, were comedies, because it was probably the most thing that were allowed to be made of, isn't it? I think in the, let's say, past 20 years, a lot of stories about communism starting to be very like serious in the tone and talk, talking more about trauma and violence of that time. So you can see all of this in a game. So you can see how they mostly took very known tropes that they were brought up with that are not maybe very personal into their, their families, but they are part of their identity that were built in schools or around the Polish culture at that time. And I guess it's important and worth noting that next to all of this, the game is absolutely aimed at an international audience, which the developers have also talked about, and that the character actually speaks. I checked this in an interview with a mid-Atlantic American accent, which was like a very specific choice. So it would be more relatable to most players. And then I guess also the setting, even though the hotel is modeled on an actual hotel in Poland, it's, I think, very much based on The Shining as far as the horror trope goes. Yaroslav can talk about uh, this space a, a bit more, but absolutely I agree. Like it was a very generalized space, despite having like a, a poster from a Soviet time. Yeah. Uh, but also what was funny for me that most of their names were also translated. So even if you play a Polish game, like you are talking about uh, Thomas, not Tomasz, or Richard, not Richard. So like even the names were English version was used for the characters, which even further distance the story from the actual source. 
And just out of curiosity, I haven't actually checked this. Has the game been localized into Polish or it has only subtitles and no Polish dub? Only subtitles. There was a plan to be uh, dubbed into Polish, but there was not enough money, which is in a way standard thing, sadly, for like middle projects that they have to make cuts somewhere. So uh, yes, all the dialogues were in English. Uh, it was uh, translated into Polish in terms of writing. And in writing, there is like a let's say Polish names, but also a lot of like posters and other signs are also in English sometimes in the game, which is like a mixture of sometimes like a Polish graffiti on the wall. And then there is like an English graffiti on the wall, which is uh, also very interestingly, it creates a confusion in terms of where exactly the, the story is happening. Well, it's a truly international game, I guess, in that sense. All right, and moving on to Someday You'll Return and its markers that identify it as a Czech or not-so-Czech international game. I would turn to Teresa and Jaroslav. So how does Someday You'll Return try to solidify itself as a regional game, but at the same time speak to a broader audience? The developer told me that they tried really hard to build Czech puts. I'm Czech, so it's hard for me to say what exactly makes the Czechness of the forest. But they try to build it vertically and horizontally to create a feeling that you are in the middle of the woods. And I suppose that they made a great job because Czech gamers kept telling them, okay, that's great. I feel like in the middle of the forest behind my cottage. And the different reaction they received from foreign players, because they told them, okay, Czech forests are really beautiful. I decided to go there. Thank you very much. I want to see Czech Republic. So I suppose that they were successful to create this feeling of Czechness. But the most crucial part, of course, is the usage of trademarkers in a game. Because when you are in the middle of Czech forest, they are everywhere. We use them pretty often to go through. And they serve also as a main diegetic way of navigating in the space. So you can use them to navigate there is there is no classic map where you can navigate yourself within a game but you can use these trade markers to 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 find a place you are supposed to find and interestingly again international players got lost they were not able to understand the system even though we believe it's a very easy system for navigating. So that's pretty interesting how it works differently. The game also uses real info board. So you can upload the QR code, you can find real places and you can learn something about real places that really exist. Maybe I would ask you about the actual content of the game, because this is all more about the ambience and about the surroundings. But as far as I know, Someday You Return doesn't necessarily contain explicit references to Czech post-Soviet history. It's more the architecture and really the window <laughs> dressing of the game. And it doesn't try to uh, make a narrative out of it even as much as the medium does, right? Yeah, it's very ahistorical. It's, it's really hard to say when exactly it takes place. You know that it takes place in modern times because the main character has a smartphone, but he lost it pretty soon. So I think it's made on purpose that you exactly don't know what's happening and when it's happening. 
And there are some connection with the history, but very a political one. I think that's the main difference. The developer also told me that that was made on purpose, that it's a very a political game, very universal game about very universal themes and topics. I think we've mentioned a couple of times the term trauma. The medium is very much, the narrative is very much built on some kind of collective trauma of, uh, you know, the Polish people, or at least how it is told in stories. And I think that Sunday Return yeah. is a lot about personal trauma or like potential personal trauma. They, they are trying to make a game with a very universal appeal and like their biggest influences are Silent Hill and David Lynch and Carl Gustav Jung, right? And there's there's like a quote by Carl Gustav Jung at the beginning of the game. But still, I think, I think you can see that uh, there is like the memory of the developers is ref reflected in the game. So the, the landscape and some of the architecture and some of the, there's like a, a summer camp that you can visit in the game. This is very much something that a person who's like 40 years now or 45 years old now would remember from their childhood. They're trying to kind of um, take this place that they remember as idyllic and nostalgic, and they kind of reframe it as a space of kind of personal trauma, as this like really scary, strange place where like weird things can happen in the forest. It's ahistorical in a sense, but uh, I think in a way it reflects memories or like, and I guess some kind of aesthetic relationship to the landscape of a particular generation, I think. So it actually sounds like it works fairly well in these games, at least from the perspective of the players that they recognize these markers. As as I mentioned, the foreign players somehow appreciate it as a layer of Exotica or something new, and the local players definitely pick up on the references. And that flows into my next question, which is how sustainable do you think that this kind of approach is in video games, this kind of design, when you layer the regional specificity onto a very universal story? Do you think there is very, very far that we could go with this? Or that if a few more games like this come out, which are AA or AAA games, we're going to end up at the same point where, let's say, we ended up with the Chernobyl exclusion zone that is just going to become a cliche that has been rehashed several times. Everybody knows, but at this point, I think it's it's pretty vacuous. Like we've seen Pripyat in so many games. Visually, it's interesting, but it has become such a well-established trope that I don't think there's that much to be done about it. So do you think that we are in the danger of doing the same to other regions of Central Eastern Europe? It requires to take into the consideration how the gaming industry works. I can imagine a small company, smaller um, design studio, doing game that is not cliche and mm -hmm. gaining popularity because people starting to understanding some tropes through the games that are maybe more cliche. I don't think that big uh, studios would take a risk and make something completely not cliche because it would exclude a lot of audience. But if you also look at the general discussion in the world of creative art, we can see how much more the world is open to different cultures right now. We have, as not even in the games, but like, like we have a search of K-pop, for example. Yes, something that was unthinkable uh, that would be even gain popularity in the US because of the language barrier. Yeah, but it's still starting to getting popular. Of course, it is starting to be treated as something cliche right now as well. But I think it will be in games different from case to case. 
I think it's a, I think it's an interesting question, definitely, and I think that I'm actually kind of happy that these games came out. Um, you know, like I th- we're sometimes like a little bit critical about them, but I I think they're like a really kind of good contribution to like normalizing using these uh, these spaces as spaces as, as game spaces in almost I mean they're not AAA games, but they're you know relatively kind of high quality kind of high production value games. So I think that's great, and I think it can open up kind of more possibilities for kind of more diverse portrayals of um, Central and Eastern Europe. So not just a place of horror, not just like a scary place where you, you know, where things are falling apart and that are depressing. But I think there are like, you know, different ways of looking at these spaces. I just remember this, uh, this new game that's being uh, produced in, in Slovakia. It's called Viva Slovakia. <laughs> and it's, it's supposedly, I mean, it's going to take place in like the early 90s um, Bratislava, the capital of Slovakia. And it's supposed to be like these early 90s Eastern European Grand Theft Auto game. If it's, if they actually finish it, right? Like, but this, this sounds like a, an interesting idea, you know, I'm sure there will be cliches, but there will be like different cliches. And at least like it shows this kind of like, all these kind of diverse facets of of the region so on the one hand there's this like uh post-soviet creepiness and the kind of the chernobyl kind of stuff right and on the other hand this 90s kind of uh, transformation era chaos but also kind of very kind of optimistic chaos right so so i think that there are so many facets to this there are also educational games game studio called Charles Games that's affiliated with Charles University has been making educational games about the history of Czechoslovakia. They've been very successful on the indie circuit and in the educational game circuit with them. So, you know, I think like hopefully this this will open up um, possibilities for other makers of games who don't have to be that afraid that if they set their games in these regions, they would not sell in the West. Yeah, and now I'm actually trying to think about a game that wouldn't deal with the past of this region. And the only examples that come to my mind is the representation of Prague in Deus Ex Mankind Divided, which showed the futuristic Prague. And in terms of Poland, I think it was Observer that takes place in a cyberpunk Krakow. I think that the use of Prague in Deus Ex, I, would, I think it was quite funny because they didn't do their research, right? I think that, I think one time me and Teresa were actually like talking about it in some kind of radio show because she gave me a was very interested in this game being set in Prague. And in the end, I think they were quite disappointed because there were like lots of mistakes in, in place names and in the language and so on. So it turned out to be somewhat like a disappointment because they didn't hire a, like a Czech consultant for the game, it seems. <laughs> I think in Poland, for some reason, every game that, except for the Observer, but still Observer was placed in Krakow, which is considered one of the most historical city in terms of visit, for example. So it has an implication <laughs> implicating a past. So far, we are at least in Polish on the Polish side, we are stuck in the past. If I may, I just remembered one game that's somehow related. It might not be like science fiction, but it's Disco Elysium, right? Which takes place in, in a yeah. fictional city. But it's very much inspired by Eastern Europe, and it's kind of steampunkish, we could say. And I think it's it's a really kind of good example of working creatively with these Eastern European inspirations, because like there are obviously Eastern European inspirations in that game, and the I mean the the creators of the game are from Estonia, from Tallinn, and even the name of the city is inspired by like the Estonian name of of Tallinn. There's hope, and I think there are examples. Maybe maybe there are more examples. Yeah, and I guess Disco Elysium is, is really one of the best examples of how to turn it completely on its head, merging it with some French influence. It's really a very interesting space that they create there in, in Ravishol or Martinez. And regarding the 
region as a whole, because you also talk about a post-Soviet space in your article. I want to ask maybe a bit about the future, how this region could be viewed in light of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. There has been quite a lot of debate about how these spaces are represented, especially related to this game that came out recently, Atomic Heart, where the studio was boycotted by a lot of players because it was perceived as a Russian game whose developers moved out of Russia after the invasion. But here this debate came up a lot that it's using this post-Soviet aesthetic, but people were already distinguishing of what part of the post-Soviet space it comes from. Also, obviously, the developers of Stalker have had to move to Prague, I think, after the invasion. Some of them actually died fighting in Bakhmut in the previous months. And they have even changed the name of their game from Chernobyl to Chernobyl to reflect the Ukrainian <laughs> transliteration of the location. So do you think that all of these events that relate to the Russian invasion could actually complicate how the post-Soviet space is being viewed in the future? Because so far it has been this nice aesthetic, apolitical, but it seems at least in the current climate that it's hard to view it absolutely apolitically, especially when you have this weird retro-futuristic Soviet nostalgia that Atomic Heart is trying to do. I think this Soviet spaces and games were always political, but maybe not on the same level as they are now. The war in Ukraine shows the differences between different countries and different cultures in Soviet bloc, and that not everything is just Russian, you know, because like when you look at the contemporary media, movies, games, so whatever there was something Soviet it was like, oh, probably Russian, you know. And now there's more thinking, okay, so there's more differences between us and we can show those differences and not being put into the one box of being vaguely Russian influenced. In Prague, we have many tourist traps like Soviet Museum or International Communism Museum or something like that. And I pass by these places when I go to work. And it's always full. My expectation was that it will be closed, it will be half empty or something like that. But international tourists are still, they still really want to see those places and they really want to consume all these post-Soviet cliches, regardless the the events in Ukraine. So you think it yeah. will actually endure even past the current events, this, this post-Soviet cliche? That is a Yeah. Yeah, I think that to some extent it it will. The debate about Atomic Heart is is really interesting. I think that the game would have been uh, received like much differently if it wasn't for the war. And I'm sure that they started development before the war. I think that the events might lead to like unfortunately kind of more of these depressing portrayals of the regions as this kind of war torn uh, landscape. There are games that are being made in Russia these days even that are not at all about kind of um, war or history. I think I just played this really nice Russian indie game called No By Heart, which is basically about everyday life in rural Russia. It's about friendships and kind of hanging out with friends. Uh, it takes place in Russia. It, it never rubs your face in it, but like you can see that it takes place in rural Russia. And maybe because of the events, these, these kinds of games could kind of fall under the radar somehow, I think, because now we see this region in terms of war, but there are also, you know, other things happening. People live their lives and it might be unfortunate if like the region is like reduced to war. Thank you. That's, I think, a really nice note to end on. 
Maybe for the ending, I would ask you just a silly question. If each of you could tell me their favorite well-placed or totally badly placed regional marker in the game that they ever saw. It can be a local game. It can be a game where somebody was involved in the design that was from the region. So do you have any like very, very memorable examples of this? I have one from Medium, and I think this is a reference that only few <laughs> older generation people will get in a hotel book. Uh, in the game, you can look into it. And of course, there's like uh, some vandalism because uh, the book was left there for um, decades. Uh, and there's like a signature in Polish, Tubuem uh, Tony Halik. So I was here, Tony Halik. And this is a, a reference to a Polish explorer that was popular in, I think, 70s and 80s, but I might be wrong here. But it was because he was exploring this very exotic spaces, people started making fun of it. And I remember the same signature to Buem Tony kind of carved into the drywall of my high flat that I lived with my family when I was a teenager. So that was a reference to my past that was very close to me, but probably not a lot of people playing this game realized that uh, reference. In Someday You Will Return, I really like some collectibles or items that serve a little bit like an Easter eggs for checks, because it's hard to understand the meaning if you are foreign. So, for example, you can collect uh, sweets called Hashlerki. Everybody used to like or hate Hashlerki. So that I think that's pretty fun that they are Easter eggs for Czechs or Czechoslovakian. Uh, I'll use a uh, different example. I've been playing this game called Hrot. It's H-R-O-T. It's a first-person shooter game that takes place in this absurd reimagining of like late Soviet uh, Czechoslovakia. At the end of like the first set of missions, uh, you go into the mausoleum on the Vítkov Hill in Prague, where old communist dignitaries used to be buried. And you go there and you fight this monster that is like a spider, but it has the head of uh, Clement Gottwald, who was the first communist president. <laughs> and he was always uh, depicted on photographs, like smoking a pipe. And the monster actually is smoking a pipe while you're killing it. It's very funny. I think the game works with these memories of the late Soviet era, like very creatively and in a very funny way. Okay, thank you. <laughs> that was really good. Thank you very much for taking the time to spend this hour with me. Best of luck in your future research. I'm not sure if this particular article will have any kind of continuation or any further research, but it would be fascinating to read it. So at this point, I would just like to say have a great day and thank you very much for being with me. Thank Thanks you. for inviting us. Thank you.